open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew 12. We are thrilled to have you with us today, particularly those who are visiting. We are thankful for your presence. In Matthew 12, beginning with verse 38, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented of the preaching of Jonah and behold something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold something greater than Solomon is here. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself. And they go and live there, and the last state of the man has become worse than the first. This is the way it will be with this evil generation. We have seen Jesus cast out demons. The crowd say, he's doing this by the power of Beelzebul. Jesus shows the foolishness of that charge. And he says the evil that they speak reveals the evil that is in their heart. And now they come to him and say, we want to see a sign. He has cast out a demon. That demon had made the man mute and it made him blind. And the man had the demon cast out. He's able to see and he's able to speak. And they said, a son. They want a son. What could he have done that would have convinced him? This isn't the only time they will come to Jesus with this request. In Matthew 16, verses 1 through 4, they will come with the same request. We want to see a sign. The Sadducees and Pharisees are involved in that situation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 22 and 23, Paul said, The Jews demand a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are saved, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We want to see 
a sign. After all the powerful signs that Jesus has done, they act as if they need more evidence. And this motivates Jesus' response. Jesus said an evil and adulterous generation looks for some. In the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea in particular, Israel's sin is viewed as harlotry as they worship other gods. They are guilty of harlotry because God's covenant with Israel was like a marriage. And in a marriage, you're supposed to be faithful to the one to whom you're married. And Israel was supposed to be faithful to God. They were to be His people. And He was their God. And God was faithful to Israel. But Israel was unfaithful to Him. They were adulterous. They were guilty of harlotry. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. Hosea, Ezekiel, Jeremiah particularly bring those images forward and the Bible tells us that this generation is like those generations it is an evil generation it is an adulterous generation and they are seeking for a sign they are craving for a sign and Jesus says you won't be given a sign except the sign of Jonah the prophet Now he says that no sign is going to be given, but in the process of saying that no sign will be given, he gives them a sign. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, in the belly of the sea monster, and there's a lot of thought, let me tell you, that goes behind that translation. So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah was disobedient. Jonah didn't go where God told him to go. But Jonah was no coward. He admits all the storm came because of him. And when the men say, what should we do with you? He says, throw me overboard. They were reluctant to do that and rowed desperately. But as the storm became more intense, finally they see no other way. And they pray to the Lord. And they throw Jonah overboard. And Jonah is swallowed by the great fish. And I want to tell you, I believe that happened. And I want to tell you one reason why it is important that you believe it. Because Jesus bases the most important fact of all history on that historical event. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. 
When Jonah finally goes to Nineveh, reluctantly, but he goes. And he goes and he preaches his message, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Now how is that for a message of hope? 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And yet the people responded to this message. And when they hear that message, the Bible says, from the king who was on the throne to the lowest of the people, they proclaim a fast. And even the animals were to avoid eating and drinking. And he said, who knows, perhaps God will see our change and he will turn from the evil that he intends to do to us. The people of Jonah, the less enlightened people, responded to a less enlightened preacher and Jesus in his day is preaching a message and the very ones who were leaders of the nation aren't listening the very ones who stated that they had been waiting all their life for the Messiah aren't listening. And their actions condemn the people of Jesus' generation. The Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba, will rise in judgment against this generation. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, one greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. The queen of Sheba had heard in her country of the wisdom of Solomon. And she carries a caravan. And she goes this long distance to test him with questions and to to ask him about difficult matters. And when she sees, she sees his answers and she sees all that he said. There's no breath left in her. There's no spirit left in her. And she said, I'd heard in my country of your wisdom and I did not believe it, but I come here and I see that the half was not told me. She came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And standing right here in their midst is a greater wise man who has a greater message. And they weren't listening. And the queen condemns the people of that generation. Noah prepared an ark and condemned the world. Hebrews 11 verse 7. Anytime any person does right, particularly anytime a person does right under difficult circumstances, that serves as a rebuke to all those who could have done better and didn't. The unclean spirit goes out of a man seeking rest. How much this informs us about a theology of demon possession, I do not know. 
But its main point is to say when a demon goes out and it can't find rest, it comes back to the person and it finds the house swelped and unoccupied and he brings along seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they possess the person and, and the Bible says, so it is with this evil generation. The last state will be worse than the first. So it is with this evil generation. You notice the evil generation was mentioned in verse 39. The evil gen- gen- generation is mentioned in verse 45. And therefore, it is linked. This is the way it is with this evil generation. Now what are we to learn from this text? Have you noticed in Matthew 12, we we just read verses 41 and 42. Look back at verse 6. Look back at verse 6. And remember Jesus there was in a Sabbath controversy with the Pharisees. And the Bible says, have you not read how David, when he became hungry, entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to eat. Or in verse 5, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But this is the point, verse 6. I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Now, this phrase, something greater, is in the neuter. Some think it refers to Jesus' message or Jesus' reign or Jesus' kingdom. But but obviously it involves Jesus in some way or another. But Jesus is greater than the temple. He is greater than the temple. In verse 41, he is greater than Jonah. In verse 42, he is greater than Solomon. Now I want you to think about that just a moment. Think about that. Jesus is greater than the temple, which was a pretty big deal in the Old Testament. And the temple was the dwelling place between God and man. And the temple was a place where the priests served. So he's greater than the temple. He's greater than the priest. He's greater than Jonah. And we've told before that Jonah was a reluctant prophet. He is a greater prophet than Jonah. Moses has said, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet from among you like me. And he'll be so listened to in everything. And the one who doesn't listen to him will be cut off from among the people. Jesus is that prophet. He is greater than Jonah. He is greater than Solomon. He has a deeper wisdom than Solomon. But Solomon was a king too. Mitch just led us in a song that had the title, King Most High. King Most High. The last verse said, darkest power he or came. Life for me he regained. A prophet ne'er to die. 
priest forever on his throne. He is prophet. He is priest. He is king. Isn't that exactly what this text states? To state it in the order that Matthew 12 did, he is priest, he is prophet, he is king. Something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. I do not make an excuse for stating that the best place you can be in the world is right here, right now. Not because of who is speaking, but because of who is being spoken about. He is the one we have been longing for. The Queen of the South and the men of Nineveh are a rebuke to Jesus' generation who did not recognize God come in the flesh right in front of them. Now I know that for you that is not a groundbreaking message. Most of you were led to come here today because you believe that Jesus is priest and prophet and king. You believe that Jesus is greater than the temple and greater than Jonah and greater than Solomon. It's not a groundbreaking message. And a message it was in his day. It was in his time. And the people demanded proof. What sign? Teacher, what sign do you give us? And he says, no sign is going to be given to you. But he does give a sign. Because a message like that demands extraordinary proof. A message like Jesus is the one greater than the temple. And greater than Solomon is a message that needs some kind of proof. And I will tell you, he gives the most astounding of proofs. No sign will be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In Jonah, in, in Matthew 16, verses 1 through 4, he said, No sign will be given to this generation except to the sign of Jonah. Last night I came up here looking for a few books. I only found a couple of the ones that I was looking for. But there are all kinds of books that were written by people who were antagonistic to Christians, maybe strongly opposed to Christianity, 
who studied the resurrection and became convinced. John referred to C.S. Lewis earlier. C.S. Lewis, a skeptic and unbeliever who became convinced that Jesus was raised from the dead. And he talks about how at the time of his conversion, the most reluctant convert in all of the Josh McDowell set out on the same journey in the 60s and the 70s. Lee Strobel, the same journey in the 1990s and around 2000 set out to study the resurrection in hopes of proving that it was all a farce and Christianity was not real. Only to be convinced that it was real. And for the whole direction of their lives to be changed. The whole direction of their lives to be changed. One thing that would have been challenging to this audience is Jesus is announcing this sign which is still future and that is conveyed in the New American Standard Translation in verse verse 40. Just as the Son of Man, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He is talking about an event that is still future and calling upon them to believe. We look back at the cross. And if a person is dying, there's all kinds of evidence to research. There's all kinds of investigation to be made. All kinds of examination. Have you made that? Let me ask you younger people, have you made that examination? Don't go to services where you do or believe what you do simply because your parents believe it. Be able to articulate your faith for yourself. For you that are a little older and beginning families, you have to articulate that fact to teach your children diligently when you rise, when you sit down and when you rise up and when you walk by the way, you're going to have to be able to articulate. Those of us who are older, who are faced with questions that we didn't expect in our culture, in our society, we're going to have to be able to articulate why we believe in Jesus and why we believe that he raised, he was raised from the dead. At the end of this section, Jesus talks about the unclean spirit going out of a man and passing through waterless places seeking rest. 
And it will return to its house from which it came because it finds the house unoccupied, swept and clean. Now there is a good practical point we made of this. When we eradicate evil from our life or you are wrestling with some titanic struggle against sin, when you do that, it is not enough to remove the evil, but you're going to have to replace the evil with something that is good. It may be that you're here and you're battling with problems of drugs or alcohol or pornography. Not only are you going to have to remove that evil, but you're going to have to replace that evil with something that's good. And I would say to you, if you are in those circumstances, there are people in this audience who would be glad to help you and talk with you. People who have struggled with these things and by God's grace overcome. So there is a very practical point that can be made of this. To fill your lives with reading the Word. To fill your lives with Scripture. Because when you get up in the morning, when we get up in the morning, we not only need to get up in the morning with certain things to avoid, but certain things to fill our lives with good. Lose yourself in Him, in His reign, in His Word. But this particularly applies to this generation in special sense. And I don't want to lose sight of the context. He said, this is the way it is with this evil generation. He is showing their hard-heartedness. Remember... When Jesus told the parable in Luke chapter 16 of Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man says, Father, send Lazarus that he may warn my brothers lest they also come to this place of torment. The response is they have Moses and the prophets. He said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded. Even if someone rises from the dead, if we do not listen to God's word, who is to say that we would be convicted by the most powerful miracle? Jesus says we would. This generation has seen those powerful miracles. And they're going to see another one. Another more powerful. The most dramatic of all. As this one that they hung up on a cross on a Friday is alive on Sunday. that I mentioned earlier and the people that I mentioned and I could have gone in a lot greater depth of people I mentioned people I could mention who studied the resurrection and been convinced it's proof that there are some that are seeking but I'm going to tell you 
why people, most people, don't believe. Because they don't want to believe. And they don't want to submit to Him. That's a pretty strong claim. This phrase, the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. The last being worse than the first. That phrase is used about three other times in the Bible. It's used in a parallel to this in Luke 11 verse 26. The last state of that man becomes worse than the first. So it's used in Luke 11 26. It's used in 2 Peter 2 verse 20 which says if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ they are again entangled by them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first. 2 Peter 2 verse 20. But what I really want to emphasize And what I really want you to look at me, look with me at. Is Matthew 27. And particularly when we get to verse 64. Particularly when we get to verse 64. But let's just look at the context. Because this context is amazing for all it reveals. In verse 62, now on the next day, the day after the preparation. By the way, that's the Sabbath day. The next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Jesus and said, Sir, we remember that when he was alive, the deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. And listen to this. And the last deception will be worse than the first. The last state is going to be worse than the first. Now, what's remarkable to me about this are several things. First of all, at a time when we see none of the disciples apparently remembering the words of Jesus, none of the disciples hanging on his words that after three days that his enemies will rise again, Jesus says this. Jesus' enemies say that. Jesus' enemies know he's going to be raised. Most of Jesus' statements about the resurrection were made privately to his disciples. This statement in Matthew 12 was made openly to them. They understood what he's talking about. Now let me also get real technical with you. In just a moment. Three days and three nights in the heart heart of the earth. Jesus couldn't have been crucified on a Friday and raised on a Sunday, could he? 
Look at the way the New Testament uses that phrase. Notice in verse 63 that the scribes and Pharisees said, After three days I will rise again. In verse 64, let's make the tomb secure until the third day. Those are used interchangeable. Yes, the old model of Jesus being crucified on a Friday and raised on a Sunday is correct. I believe. But this is the main point I'm getting at. The last deception will be worse than the first. Jesus says this is the way it is with this evil generation and the last will be worse than the first. And here the very sign that Jesus gave, the very sign they were asking for, the sign of Jonah, the sign that could change their lives, the sign that has changed other people's lives, They remember he prophesied of these things. And before the resurrection, they are doing everything within their power to stop it. They're doing everything within their power to make sure it doesn't happen. They are saying to Pilate, let's make a guard. Let's guard the tomb. Because if he does raise from the dead, or if the disciples steal the body, this is going to be worse than anything we've experienced till then. Oh, they don't know the truth of those words. They tried to secure the tomb. But early on the first day of the week, as the women had gone to the tomb to look into the grave, there was an earthquake happened. An angel of the Lord descended and rolled away the stone. The angel's appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And the guards that saw this shook like dead men. They are overwhelmed by the... the, awesomeness of this scene and the women who come to the tomb can't find his body and the angel said do not be afraid I know you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth as those women are back on their way to tell the disciples in verse 9 Jesus meets them and they fall at his feet and worship them in the meantime the guards have run to town in verses 11 through 15 now while they were on their way some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened and when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep and if this comes to the governor's ear we will win him over and keep him out of trouble and they took the money and did as they had been instructed and this story is spread widely or widely spread among the Jews and is to this day some of the first people to hear the story of the resurrected Lord are the chief priests and the Pharisees these religious leaders who did not believe Jesus who asked for who demanded you give us a sign and they're convinced that they're presented with evidence that what Jesus said was true was their fault. If we turn away from the Lord, 
Maybe our family didn't do everything they should have done to encourage us. But I can point you to people whose families were downright hostile to their family. And they have remained faithful. If a person falls away from the faith, They may have been in a congregation that didn't encourage them enough and build them up enough. But I can tell you, congregation, people who were in congregations that were hostile to them, and they've remained faithful. They've kept that. My point is, if we stray from this message, it is our fault. Not anybody else's. We stray from it. I am convinced that while there are some sincere souls, and may God help us find them, there are sincere souls that are today wandering in unbelief who are open to the message of salvation in Jesus. By and large, people don't believe because they don't want to believe. And they say, as we see in the Gospels, we will not have this man reign over us. May we never fall in that category. May we come to services every time. May we open our Bibles for daily reading every time with the attitude. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We're going to do your will. We're going to surrender to your message. We're not going to do what we want to do. We're not going to believe what we want to believe. We're simply going to be guided by you. God help us. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, how awesome, how majestic you are. And we are thankful that you have given so many manifestations of yourself. Lord, we are weak and we stumble. And we thank you for your long-suffering with Israel. With your long-suffering for the church. With your long-suffering for us. And thank you that you loved us so much to send your son to this world. Who would fulfill all the hopes and dreams of the people that were promised in the Old Testament. To bring salvation. Thank you that we experienced that. And thank you Lord for the freedom we have to tell it. And may you be with the leaders of our land. And locally, nationally, and worldwide. That that gospel may always be proclaimed. And that in doors that are now closed that you might open them. So that your word might be spoken to all. 
Hold us in your hand. Bring us home to glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know why you believe? Do you know what you believe? Do you really believe it? Enough to change your life? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? If you believe that enough to change your life, to repent of your sins, to turn from the way that you're walking, to be baptized in the Christ for remission of sins, God will wash away all sin as we stand and as we sing.